Con Radio, presented by Wizard World. Radio for geeks. Hey, this is Kenny Kramer, the real Kramer. I'm telling you, you're listening to the Cans Air Podcast. Enjoy. Giddy up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candair, a tribute to comics and pop culture right here on Wizard World's Con Radio. I am Jeremy Colley, and I'm alone in the studio this week as we're taking the week off in lieu of Memorial Day. So in our absence, we are leaving you with an interview we got to do a few weeks ago uh, with the man who inspired Cosmo Kramer, as portrayed by Michael Richards on Seinfeld. He was uh, Larry David's across-the-hall neighbor in the days before Seinfeld, and is now celebrating his 20th season doing his Kramer reality tour in New York City, among other projects. So uh, if you're a Seinfeld fan, you're going to love this episode. So I'm just going to quit blabbing and let you all hear it for yourself. Here is our interview with Kenny, the real Kramer. Kenny, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us this evening. How are you? I'm just fine, thank you. Are you uh, ready for summer? Any big summer plans? Just uh, doing my Kramer reality tour throughout the summer and uh, looking forward to my 20th season of doing this. So it's pretty exciting. When I was doing the notes, I, uh, I knew it was right around 20 years, but I didn't know it was the 20th year. That's awesome. Well, Congratulations. Yeah, the 20th year. Thank you. It's uh, defying gravity. well we uh keep talking we're going to be coming to new york one of these times to go to the comic-con so we'll definitely have to take your tour when we get there pretty awesome yeah that would be great um but let's jump backward a little bit back to 1958 uh where you began at the manhattan's prestigious school for the performing arts you you went there for about six years before you got into comedy is that right (laughs) no no i went there for about a year and a half Oh, wow. <laughs> Internet doesn't lie. Oh, don't I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, high, school, I'm a high school dropout. Okay. I, I, I think there was a song about me in Greece. Oh, no, that was a beauty school dropout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so then uh, from there you got into uh, stand-up comedy, right? No, I was a musician. Really? I, I didn't to, know that. I, I didn't read that anywhere. Arts. Yeah, I was a percussionist. You know, when I went to high school performing arts, it was the old high school performing arts on 46th Street where so many illustrious people went. And around the corner from the school was a, it was a bar called the Metropole Cafe. And they had a matinee every day, which featured some jazz artists that you probably wouldn't be too young to know about. There was a drummer named Gene Krupa, and there was a... Uh, well, anyway, there were some really famous jazz artists that, that played this thing, and Gene Krupa was like an icon. He and Buddy Rich were like uh, the two big drummers of the era. And uh, so I would get out for lunch and, and go over to the Metropole where I befriended Gene, and uh, I wouldn't bother going back to school. <laughs> so, so that went on for a while, and then... Uh, and then I ended up uh, just playing, you know, being a musician, lying about my age, going off uh, to the Catskill Mountains where they had all these hotels, and then being a drummer in a band. Wow. So and, do you still uh, play it all these days? Well, occasionally. My partner is a very talented Brazilian singer, keyboard player. And uh, sometimes on, on those gigs that she has, I... Uh, I, I play on those. Maybe I play like some hand drums and some congas or something like that. But no, uh, percussion drumming is not really that much of a part of my life at this point. So then how did you go from uh, being a musician to being a stand-up comic? 
Well, you know, as a musician, I'm playing a hotel, making like 150 bucks a week, playing six nights a week, and then on Saturday afternoon, an act would come over and I have a rehearsal, and then they do a show that night, and I'm playing five sets of music, as I say, I make it 150 bucks a week, and in walks this comedian, and he's hilariously funny for one hour. He gets 750 dollars and leaves <laughs> to do another show. And I was sitting there thinking, Jesus, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> Good return on that investment. <laughs> yeah, this guy's got a much better deal than I have. And uh, and so it took me a number of years to really get my chops together to begin a career in stand-up. But by the age of 27, I was a stand-up comedian. And you did pretty well for yourself. I mean, doing big clubs, rock concerts, and stuff like that, right? That's true, yeah. I, you know, well, what happened was I, I started out, I was... Uh, I was working a lot in Miami Beach, and I'm like in my uh, late forties, and my audience there like is in their sixties, and I'm thinking to myself, well, look, if I'm going to have a career, by the time I'm peaking, this audience is going to be dead. (laughs) (laughs) These people like sixty, seventy years old. Right. So upon realizing that, I said, you know. This isn't going to really work for longevity. And so I changed my whole act to just be talking about drug, sex, and rock and roll. And I got some maniac with a big agency to uh, buy into my idea that I could be opening major rock concerts because instead of like going through this old dead air with this big changeover when you had an opening act and then a headliner, I could come in in middle and all I need is a, a pin spot and a microphone and you know I could have that audience rocking and rolling with laughter, uh, which would really enhance your show and give it a better continuity and then I get off and the, the headliner was stages all set up and boom they go. He sold so me on guy, the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so Wally Myrowitz, my agent, who was uh, who was uh, quite a good agent at the time, he represented such backs as Rod Stewart and Uriah Heep and uh, Eagles and oh, some other you know acts and uh, he loved me and he just like put me in all these shows so I ran around the country being pretty much a rock and roll star, you know. It was, it was a lot of fun, you know, a, a very decadent lifestyle, I must say, but uh, <laughs> right. but, but a, a lot of fun. That's and so really that's cool. how I became a rock concert comedian. <laughs> that's awesome. I wish they still did that, had comedians at rock shows. That would be so amazing. I've seen one. They open, he opened for Chicago. It really? Was pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, was a different, it was a different twist to it, but it was fun. It needs to be more mainstream. Uh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, you know, comedy has, you know, at the time I was doing it, there wasn't that much comedy around. I mean, there were like four comedy clubs in the United States. I'm talking about like 1974, 75. You know, it, 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 comedy didn't really explode until the advent of cable television came along. And, and, and all of these uh, television networks, these new cable networks, realized that a generic comedy club television show is a beautiful thing because it costs nothing to produce and right. and young people want to see these comics and that's the demographic everyone's begging for. Makes sense. So they started putting these, these uh, you know, uh, stand-up, stand-up, VH1 Spotlight, Evening at Caroline's, Evening at Improv, Deaf Comedy Jam, the... Uh, you know, there are like a dozen of these, and, and then, you know, all these people started coming to see these acts because, you know, America went from four comedy clubs in 74 to like 900 comedy clubs in 84. Yeah, no and, kidding. Uh, that, that was the big comedy boom. 
and uh, you know it was uh, it was a good time. Any any idiot that had an hour of repartee could make five grand a week. <laughs> <laughs> It was the golden age yeah. of being an idiot. It was the golden age, and then it just became overexposed. And, you know, we went from 900 comedy clubs to about 300. <laughs> and today Ooh. I think there's probably maybe less than 200. Oh, wow. And the public gets burnt out on things like that yeah. pretty quickly. Yeah. Doesn't Especially well, nowadays. You know, if, if, why, why, would you, why would you go to a comedy club and, and spend like 50, 75 bucks when you could lay in bed and watch comedy clubs on television and smoke a joint and have a beer and you know, yeah, not true. leave the house? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's, that's what happened to the world of stand-up. Very cool. Now, it was during your stand-up career that uh, you ended up living across the hall then from Larry David, correct? Right, yeah. I uh, I moved into this building that was a sort of an experiment. It was a, a housing project subsidized by the government for performing artists. That sounds dangerous. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was quite a fluke. And I got in here as a comedian. I still live here. And uh, Larry... Uh, you know, Larry lived on the 24th floor. I lived on the 4th floor. And uh, and then, like, you know, after we, the building had been opened a few months, it was completely sold out. And it's a big building. It's two 46-story towers with, uh, you know, in between the two buildings, we have a recreation plaza with swimming pools, tennis courts, racquetball, climbing walls, jacuzzi, saunas, nice. health clubs, restaurants. You know, it's like I live in a, a country club two blocks from Times Square. And... Uh, they decided they were going to put on like a talent show, you know, for some of these entertainers in the building, and they asked me to put it together. And this is how I come to meet Larry. They give me a list of the comedians. I say, you know, and, oh, and they're going to pay all the acts too that perform. Oh wow! So everybody I contact, hey, you want to be in this cabaret night that the building's putting on? You know, pays 150 bucks for 15 minutes of your material. On a Tuesday night, everybody, yeah, yeah, I'm in on that. <laughs> Ten bucks a minute, yeah, can't beat yeah. that. Until I got to Larry David, yeah, I don't think so. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to do that. <laughs> well, that sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I stayed on this case and I embarrassed him into doing it, and he was like the biggest hit of the night. Because at that time in Larry's career, it was like stand-up Russian roulette. You know, you never knew it would be like a, a tremendous explosion of laughter or a bomb that would vacuum the laughter out of a club for the whole night. <laughs> he was so hit and miss. No but, gray area when, there. When he did his show in the building, he was a huge hit. So afterward, I said to him, what was your reluctance? Why were you didn't want to do this? He said, oh, yeah, I was afraid of... If I didn't do well and the management saw my act, they might kick me out of the building. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, he and I became fast friends. And uh, then he left the building to do a show in L.A. called Fridays. And then he wanted to move back to New York. And I finagled this kid who lived across the hall from me who was thinking about a roommate. And I conned this kid into thinking what a great roommate Larry David would be. <laughs> and that kid curses your name to this day, I'm sure. Uh, no, actually, he never had to live with Larry, because he ends up getting the job of this kid. His name is Christopher Brenner. He's he's 27 years old. He's a graduate of an acting school in Sacramento, California. Came to New York with the ambition of you know, making it as a New York theater actor. You know, in the three years he's living in New York, the most money he ever made in a year was maybe $1,100. Wow. 90% of his income comes from office temping. You know. 
So, uh, but the thing is, he's 27 years old. He doesn't look a day over 15. He's like five foot three. He never grew a beard. Looks like a little kid. This is it. The truth gets the job as the token white teenager on Japanese Sesame Street. Okay? <laughs> wow. Honest to God, he moves to he moves to Tokyo. He loves Asian women and hasn't been seen since. No um, kidding. He is living yeah, the dream. So, wow. Yeah, so and Larry ended up uh, living right across the hall from me, just like it looks on the Seinfeld set. And he was there about five and a half years. And that's when a lot of adventures and things we went through together ended up as stories on Seinfeld. So... What was your you and Larry's friendship like compared to that of Jerry and Kramer's on the, the actual show? Well, it was very similar. I mean, we were like roommates. You know, we lived across the hall from each other, but we never locked our doors. We would walk in and out of each other's lives. Um, some things are, like, distorted. For instance, uh, on the show, Kramer's always coming into Jerry's house for food and realize it was Larry entering my house for food. <laughs> I, I always have a lot of food in the house, you know, all kinds of desserts and ice creams. And, you know, Larry and his refrigerator was like a half a can of ginger ale and like a, 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 a lemon. <laughs> yeah, a lemon. <laughs> Or maybe a tuna fish sandwich from a couple of days ago. All the makings of a great meal. Yeah. Yeah, right. Everything Larry ate, he picked up a phone to order. He went to a restaurant or across the hall to Crames. You know, like I tell you, Larry is the kind of guy that is very self-conscious that God forbid someone should think he's taking advantage of him. So to this end, he insisted that he had to pay for every morsel of food he ever ate in my house. And I said, Larry... It's my pleasure to feed my friends. You know, I don't want your money. Just enjoy yourself. Relax. Hey, Kramer, if I, if I take food and I don't pay for it, I'm not going to be comfortable taking it, and I won't be able to take it. So, you know. So anyway, what he had was he had this index card on my refrigerator door, and everything he took to eat, he'd estimate the value of, you know, two Oreo cookies, 20 cents. You know, a quarter glass of milk, 15 cents. And then, you know, about once a month or so, the index card would be filled, and I'd walk into my apartment, they'd be like, you know, $9 on my table. And the new blank index card just went on for five years. <laughs> so when the show went on the air, he asked me for some suggestions of things, you know. That, and I said, Larry, remember that list you used to keep on my refrigerator door? I said, I bet that would be a good one. He goes, oh, yeah, Kramer, that's gold. Well, I never mentioned it again to him. Seven years later, Kramer's keeping a list in Jerry's house of everything he's going to take oh. to eat. Hey, Jerry. I put it on the list. I took a half a can of Coke. <laughs> There's no half a can. You open a Coke, you own the whole can. <laughs> <laughs> you buy the whole can. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, yeah. So some other uh, situations like that I wanted to ask you about, whether they'd be fictional or uh, drawn from real life. Uh, one was your apartment layout. Does your apartment at all like what was uh, on the show? Well... Um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, it, it was, it was like the last two apartments at the end of the corridor facing each other. That, that, you know, it's I an see. actual d- depiction, but you know, the activity on the show is all happening in Jerry's house. In real life, it was all happening in my house. I see. That's where people were coming in and out. That's where we're having parties, you know. Uh, so that part is kind of different. The food was also different. He, you know, I had food. He never had food in his house. <laughs> and, 
you know, but a lot of things that ended up happening, you know, who knew, like, that they, they would be depicted in a show seen in 90 countries by, you know, hundreds yeah. of millions of people. I mean, I never dreamed the world would find out there was a week there I was planning to build levels in my apartment. Okay? <laughs> Awesome. Now, I've got to ask this. Is there really a Bob Sacamano? Well, Bob, you know, a lot of the characters, the names of characters are actual people, friends of Larry's, colleagues of Larry's, friends of writers. Bob Sacamano is a, is a, a name of a friend of a writer named Larry Charles, who you might know. He did, like, the Borat movies. Yes. And, uh, he has uh, several series. He's involved in, uh, he's an executive producer on the Entourage. And anyway, he had a friend he went to high school with in Brooklyn named Bob Sacramento. And uh, we've been looking for the real Bob Sacramento, but haven't had any luck in locating him. Oh, man, that'd be awesome to find him. That's the greatest name. <laughs> but, but, you know, like uh, Alec Berg, who was a writer on the show. Uh, <laughs> Joe DiVola was a producer at Fox that worked for Larry's ex-wife. Uh, oh, wow. Who was uh, Kenny Banya. Well, no, that's somebody else. But, uh, you know, a lot of these names are names of characters. John Mollick, a friend of mine, an English teacher from Jersey. Becky Gelke, who... Uh, uh, it was a neighbor of ours in the building. You know, most of these names are names here. But the first time I heard this name, Art Vandelay. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know who that was. Like, usually, like, you know, the names of these characters bear no resemblance to the character. It was just a tribute Larry did to people. You know, like, a, you know, it wasn't based on them. It was just to use their name. So and I knew most of these names. I get a kick out of it, you know, like. Particularly with my friend John Malika, who's an English teacher in Jersey, and he used the name John Malika in an episode called The Pez Dispenser. Oh, um, yeah. And John was a high school English teacher. All the students would say, Hey, Mr. Malika, you, you, you know, your name was mentioned on Seinfeld. He said, Yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Joe Devola, I said, Larry, who the hell is Joe Devola? He said, I made it up. Oh, really? <laughs> He liked it so much, he used it a number of times, if you recall. Oh, absolutely. Joe just trying to extend his unemployment benefits, and the <laughs> employment council is trying to kick him off unemployment insurance. He said, you kidding? I, I've been looking for work. I had a big interview with Vandalay Industries. They're in the late back <laughs> business. They're huge. Oh, man. Uh, Crazy Joe DiVola. Yeah, that yeah. was awesome. <laughs> One more thing I have to ask you, uh, if it was uh, actuality or just fictional, did you ever put a screen door and chimes on your apartment door? No, they wouldn't let me do that. <laughs> <laughs> but you wanted to. I thought you were going to ask me if there was a contest. Well, okay, well, hey, you brought Skirting it up. I'm it certainly uh, curious, yeah. That, that that there actually was a contest. Really? Wow. Yes, there was a contest for those of you listeners that aren't aware of it. A contest is the episode where the cast makes a bet who could go the longest without treating their bodies as amusement parks. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was the euphemism that they used. And and just in the annals of television history, that's the episode that really belongs in the Museum of Broadcasting. Cause oh, absolutely. If you think about it, 15 years prior to that episode, 
Rob and Laura Petrie had to sleep in twin beds in the same room. They couldn't have a double bed that they slept in. Yeah, That's exactly. And now, yeah. 15 years later, you have a show where the cast makes a bet who could go the longest without masturbating at 9 o'clock prime time on NBC. Just think about the annals of television history. Oh, what yeah. an amazing breakthrough that is. And if that's not so. an indicator of the changing times, I don't know what would have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> yeah, what was it like the Brady Bunch? They weren't allowed to show toilets in like any of the bathroom scenes. <laughs> right. so, yeah. Right. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I was just amazed that, that it got on the air, but it was so funny, you know, and they never used the M word, and uh, it got on the air. It was amazing. That's amazing. Now, Seinfeld seemed to uh, hit its, you know, peak of fame like around 1995, and uh, a lot of fame then in turn came to you, you know, with your reality tour and everything. What was that sudden explosion of fame like? It was a lot of fun. You know, it was a lot of fun. I had the idea, you know, what happened was originally I was going to do like a, a CD-ROM was like the big format at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there were all these all these big publishing companies opened up electronic publishing divisions. This was like a whole new industry. And so I figured, you know, this character Kramer is becoming the biggest thing in the world. It's based on me. I got to figure out. Hey, I'm enough of an entrepreneur. I should cash in on this. So, <laughs> may as well. I, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, come on. So I, I wrote a, a proposal for a CD-ROM uh, called Kramer's New York, and you know, the character Kramer knows like you know his way around, where to eat for free, where to go to movies and theater for nothing. How to you know he's quite the mover and shaker in town, and. Uh, and so I decided that I would, like, do a CD-ROM called Kramer's New York, of all these cool things you can do that don't cost much money and so on. And I went around to pitch this to some publishers, and, you know, the, the feedback I got was that, you know, in order to have a hit CD-ROM, uh, you need to have either entertainment content or a game. They were telling me, would you really have here as a database of places to go and see? And so I'm thinking, you know, about uh, what could I do that would be entertainment or a game? And I look out my window and a gray line bus goes through by. And I'm thinking, people always want to know, like, that Kramer's based on me. How did that happen? What did that happen? So I said, I got a great idea. I'm going to have a Seinfeld reality check. And then I saw this gray line sightseeing bus and I said, a tour, a reality tour. And so within a few minutes, I picked up the phone. I called Grayline Sightseeing. I had a meeting with the president of Grayline Sightseeing. And I went there and I pitched him that I want to do this uh, CD-ROM. And I want to drive, take it. I want him to supply me with a bus. That would be my official Kramer, you know, reality tour bus. And I would go around and point out these sites in the city that were, you know, part of Seinfeld, that were locations for Seinfeld. And so the guy, they were Charlie Flavin, was the president of Greyline. He says to me, Craig, that's a great idea, but do you ever think of really having a tour? And I said, no, that never occurred to me. They said, well, you know, that's the business we're in. We'd be happy to give you the bus for this project, but we'd like wow. to have a Kramer tour, you know. I said, oh, okay, let's look into that. And so I mapped out, like, a, a, a tour route that pointed out all these things, like Tom's Restaurant and... Uh, and the office of Pendant Publishing, where George had sex on the desk with the cleaning lady. And oh, yeah. The pit lives in, and, uh, you know, and uh, all these things. And, uh, and then I had a lot 
had trouble with Gray Line because, uh, you know, they, they, we were going to do some test runs and they sent me some equipment that didn't work and they were gonna, supposed to sell my tickets. And if you call the 800 number for ticket sales, it never answered. So I got rid of them and I hired my own bus and I rented my own theater. And uh, on January 27th, in a, in a, a rainy, rainy day, I... Uh, January 7, 1996, I started the Kramer Reality Tour, and it's been a monster hit since then. For 20 years. That is just beyond incredible. That's and you've, a solid gold idea. Yeah, and I mean, it's a must for any Seinfeld fan. I cannot well, the, wait the, to take you tour. The key to it is that it's so much fun, and people have such a great time. You go on TripAdvisor and read some of the reviews. Everyone has an absolutely great time, which is why I'm still in business without spending a nickel on advertising. It's all word of mouth. Oh, wow. Exactly. And, uh, and we sell it out just about every week. And you've really uh, become a part of the New York experience, I'd say. I mean, you even like had uh, Mayor, uh, what was it, Rudy Giuliani, like give you like a public like a thank you, or did he award you something? Yeah, well, he he opens the tour on the bus by uh, welcoming everybody to Kramer's tour to this valuable cultural venture that Kenny Kramer started, and he hopes everyone has a good time. You know, it's very nice of him. He's a he's a fun guy, Rudy. I got to tell you, wow. uh, you know that, that he did this. I I, I could you know I, it was just a fluke. I I sent the fax to his appointment secretary. You know, saying that, you know, I'm running the Kramer tour for mostly tourists that visit New York. And would you be kind enough to do a little introduction, a video introduction that I could play on the bus when we, you know, because the first hour takes place in the theater. I do an hour of stand up before we get on the bus. And, uh, I was just amazed. I sent this fax to his appointment secretary. Twenty minutes later, I got a phone call. The mayor put you on the schedule for next week. Oh, wow. So I went down to City Hall. <laughs> yeah, he was really cool. I went down to City Hall, and we rehearsed, and we did about three or four different versions of the introduction. And I got to tell you, Rudy Giuliani, no matter what you think of the guy, has got an incredible sense of humor. He's a very funny man. We were laughing and laughing. I... I can't tell you how disappointed that I am that he didn't want to become president of the United States. Not oh, that I yeah. agree with his politics, but it would have been easy to change, you know, the crayon on the video instead of, you know, mayor of New York, it would say president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> That'll just give you an idea of how selfish I am, right? It's a pretty strong <laughs> endorsement. You can't beat that. With a fascist leader. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so uh, the tour started became huge and uh, you know, as I say it's the 20th season I started January 27, 1996 and here we are now and your new season starts up on uh, what is it Memorial Day well weekend? I started already but usually I like to consider my season like from Memorial Day to Labor Day and from Thanksgiving to New Year's I used to do it like you know twice a day on Saturday and Sunday but that got to be too much talking because it's three hours, three and a half hours. So talking for seven hours was like, oh, you know, yeah. was a little rough. So I cut it down to just Saturday and Sunday. And then 9-11 happened and my business dropped dead. I mean, you know, I would, 80% of the people on the tour are tourists. And they just were not in New York after 9-11. 
And so I really didn't have enough business to sustain me doing it Saturday and Sunday, so I just did it on Saturdays. And then by the time, you know, so many people had uh, sympathy with New York and wanted to support New York and started coming to New York and tourism was booming again. But I had gotten to use to the idea, if I do it on Saturday, I'm done for the week. You know? yeah. <laughs> I don't have to do anything <laughs> right. for Saturday. So I just figured, screw Sunday. I'm just going to do Saturdays. <laughs> I'll be done for the week. Sounds and then like I did it. I used to feel bad turning away so many people, you know. Um, so I do Saturday and Sunday, like a Fourth of July weekend, a Memorial weekend, a Thanksgiving mm. weekend. But uh, you know, there's a DVD of the tour that's available, so I don't feel so bad. You know, if we're sold out and turn people away, but I'm getting reservations now through November and December because for so many years, so many people have come to New York and been shut out because we're sold out. You know, they. They come in on Thursday and they say, yeah, let's do the Seinfeld tour. And they call up and say, I'm sorry, we're sold out. And so now they book weeks, sometimes months in advance. Right. And, uh, you know, so it's a great gig working yeah. one day a week. <laughs> you know? Can't yeah. beat that. <laughs> but the last 10 years, I've been spending my winters in Mexico. Um, you know, my partner, as I say, is a musician who has a great music business and does destination weddings there. And so I was just hanging out in Cabo from like the beginning of January to like the beginning of May. But this is the first winter that uh, we didn't go to Mexico. Her mother was not well, and so she spent spending a lot of time with her. So this is the first winter I did the tour, and I'll be honest with you, I wasn't booming business because people really just expect that I do the tours in the summer. They didn't realize that I was doing tours in January, February, March. And so, like I said, of being sold out, I was like, you know, a half, three quarters full for all those months. But now it's picked up again. I'm four seats away from being sold out next week. Last week was sold out. The week before was sold out. So it's it's starting to pick up. The summer season is beginning. I, I consider the season beginning like a Memorial Day. But, uh, yeah, so it'll be another fun summer. That's that's amazing, and I cannot wait to take that tour. Oh, we'll be there. Yeah, Rest absolutely. Assured. Okay. Absolutely. Um, but when, you is, when is the convention you're coming for? Oh, we don't even know yet. Comic-Con? Uh, <laughs> Probably these years. It's going to be uh, New York uh, Comic Con. Yeah, we just have to scrape together some monies and uh, time off work, you know. <laughs> uh-huh. But uh, yeah, next time we're in New York, definitely, definitely going to do that. Can't miss it. Okay, well, let me know in advance. You guys can be my guests, but you got to let me know weeks ahead of time. Oh, absolutely. Consider it done. Especially if it's summertime. If you're coming in the summertime. Will do. Will do. Okay. Now, you also have a stage show, right? Kramer on Seinfeld that travels all That's around true. the world. I just. Yeah, I just got back from Israel two weeks ago. I did a huh. huge show in Tel Aviv. Seinfeld's like a hit in like 90 countries. And, you right. know, my stage show is great for any English-speaking country. And in Israel, everybody's bilingual. So anybody under 60 is bilingual. So it was really well-received in, uh, in Tel Aviv. And my partner, that's been like her lifelong dream to visit Israel. You know, she's... So, I was, you know, she's worked on a lot of cruise ships. Um, she works with a company called Crystal Cruises, which is like a six-star cruise line. And I get to go with her when she does those contracts. So I, in the 15 years we've been together, I've been to like 70 different countries. 
Um, but, you know, she's always taken me, so this was the first time I could take her somewhere. And I took her to Israel. I did the show. I did four or five days of publicity and television, and I did the show. And then we had, like, a 10-day vacation. And uh, and she's Christian, so she did a Christian pilgrimage and you know, spent Easter Sunday uh, in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know. Anyway, so... Uh, it was really great, but uh, yeah, the Kramer reality tour, Kramer on Seinfeld, uh, has traveled. I played all over Australia and wow. every capital city, which was a huge. I mean, uh, we just sold out everything. People over there, they just go crazy for Seinfeld, and like I was the closest thing they were going to get to Seinfeld, so uh, <laughs> they went into it, and uh, and I slowly played like fifteen hundred to twenty five hundred season theaters and. You know, it'd sell out like four or five shows a city. Wow. And I played all the capital cities. And to this day, because of that tour, I would guess 15, 20% of the people on the tour in New York are Australian tourists. No and, kidding. Wow. Uh, yeah. I, I get tons of Aussies. I mean, it's, it's just amazing because of the impact that, the sh that I had when I was there because I had an amazing publicist who was working as my promoter. And, you know, he's sort of a, you know, a dilettante. He likes showbiz, but his real business is he has, like, a publicity agency that has accounts like Toys R Us and Foster's Beer and, you know, really big, big, big time. Right. And so he's got, like, you know, 15, like, his publicists doing placements. So when I'm over there, I'm on every TV show, every radio show. And I, I was so famous in, in Australia. I walked down the street, people honking, screaming, yelling, Kramer, Kramer. Wow. They call me Because once you cross the international dateline, there's no more R's. The R's are all out of the vocabulary. Kramer. I got a car. Kramer. <laughs> Kramer. That's fantastic. I think I'm going to start calling you that from here on out. <laughs> so, awesome. uh, when you guys get a chance to visit Australia, I'm telling you, Aussies are the most fun, outgoing, ready to party people you will ever come across. That's what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah, everyone recommends they, they, Australia. They're amazing. They're basically a bunch of drunks. That's the deal. So, they're the happiest <laughs> drunks you'll ever run into in your life. They're really cool. So, uh, and, and they've sustained my business to the extent that I guess 20% of my business are Aussies to this day. Wow. Wild. That is awesome. Yeah. yeah. You made quite the impression on them. Yeah. Yeah, they <laughs> went into it, that's for sure. Now, uh, you that's have really furthered fun. the uh, experience for people who are uh, fans of Seinfeld by, in like 2013, you became an ordained minister and you can actually marry people. And uh, that's I, I true. Gotta say, I love the catchphrase on your website why get married by a fake Elvis when you could get married by the real Kramer? That's <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I've done a number of these. Uh, I, unfortunately, I have to turn down so many of them because, you know, these weddings are like on a Saturday and I'm booked or else they're like out of town and the money I have to charge them with the airfare and hotel is, you know, a little out of a lot of people's reach. Right. But uh, I have done a number of them and uh, they're fun, you know. I had a lot of people renew their vows. Um, oh, there you, you know, go. They come, in, they, they come in wearing puff t-shirts and <laughs> roll into it yeah, you know? and I and I my little wedding ceremony has a lot of a Seinfeld repertoire like if it's the second marriage I uh, tell them that they're double dipping <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, yeah, I have a lot of funny Seinfeld references in my ceremony. But it is legal. I mean, if you uh, you know have a wedding license, and uh, I sign it and put down my number, you know, my, my certificate number, you're married. And it's very easy to get married. Once I sign that sucker, it's not as easy to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's, very. It's cool, a lot man. of fun. It's fun to like you know do this a lot of times. I've done them, and uh, you know their families. I did a, a, a family. Well, a, a husband and wife. He was like a Navy SEAL being deployed, and they were getting married just before his deployment. And uh, her family was all in Canada, and they got to watch the ceremony on Skype while we did it and in New York. It was really, it was, uh, it was fun. It was really fun. Well, that's awesome. And everyone at home, you can check out uh, anything Kenny's been up to, all the stuff he's got going on, the reality tour. Uh, you know, if you're interested in having him marry you, go to KennyKramer.com. And also, uh, KramerOnSeinfeld.com. That's more about the stage show, correct? Right. And it has clips and jokes and a video bio about me. And, uh, and there's also a DVD for a lot of you listeners who are not coming to New York. There's a uh, there's the uh, Kramer Reality Tour DVD, which we sell on the internet. With tax, shipping, handling, everything's twenty nine ninety five. On the tour, we sell it for fifteen bucks. So, if any of you listeners want the DVD, there's a comments box that just say, "Charge me the tour price as per KK," and uh, I'll charge them the fifteen dollars instead of twenty nine dollars. Hey, there they, you have go. To, they have to write that in the comments box and say they heard me make this offer on your show. That's a Candare special yep. right there. How about that? From <laughs> there Kenny you Kramer go. Kramer special. Kramer <laughs> Oh, man. Kenny, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, but before we go, is there any uh, final thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners? Well, just if they're coming to New York and you'd like to do the tour, be sure to uh, book it well in advance so that you're not shut out. If you want to read more about it or you get reviews from people who've done it, go to TripAdvisor and Kenny Kramer Reality Tour, the Seinfeld Tour by Kramer. And there's a bunch of reviews up there. I got like 30 excellence and 10 very, very goods or something like that. There you so go. You get an idea of what it's about. And <laughs> if you want the DVD in the comments box, say I heard you on this blog and... Uh, and I'll charge you $15, which is the price you sell it for on the tour. And the tickets are still only thirty-seven fifty, which is the same price. In fact, you know, the tour was spoofed by uh, in an episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, how did I the totally... Up, up the top episode. Yes, yes. Of course, your uh, tour looks a lot uh, cleaner, more dignified than the one Cosmo had going. <laughs> Right, but the one Cosmo did was thirty-seven fifty, which is what my tour cost. <laughs> it was uh, three hours long. And the first few years on the tour, we served the original Kramer's famous pizza with the beverage and a surprise dessert, which was a Snickers bar with a knife and fork. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and so they spoofed it, you know. Uh, uh, Spike Pearson, who wrote uh, the not Soup Nazi episode, he spoofed the tour uh, on an episode of Seinfeld called The Muffin Tops. Where Kramer had the Peterman reality tour, thirty-seven fifty-three hours long, came with pizza, but his pizza was on, on, uh, on pound bread. <laughs> <laughs> My pizza was, uh, was uh, you know, a pizza pizza. So anyway, uh, so yeah, so people ask me all the time, "Oh, did you get the idea to start the tour when?" Uh, 
when you saw that episode, and the answer was no. The tour started, you know, four years before that episode. Yeah, but, quite the uh, opposite. It was very flattering that they did that, and uh, it was really cool. That's awesome. So anyway, yes, come on to New York. Tell your listeners to come to New York and uh, KennyKramer.com or, you know, I do theaters, colleges, and corporate events. For corporate events, I sometimes, you know, I call on my roots from stand-up comedy and go out and talk to, like, sales organizations as a demotivational speaker. Nice. <laughs> the best because kind of speaker. people are mo- People are much too tense. You got to learn to just lay on the couch and not answer the phone. That's the way to go. Words and, to live uh, by. Yeah, right. right. So for the theaters, colleges, corporate events, Kramer on Seinfeld is the website to visit. And uh, hope I see you guys in person one of these days. Yeah, Rest me too. Yeah. yeah, me too. Well, thank you so much, Kenny. Okay, bye. All right, everyone, and there you have it, our interview with Kenny the Real Kramer. We really hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as we did. We had a great time talking with him. He's a hell of a nice guy, as you uh, just heard in this interview. Uh, Don't forget to check out what he's got going on at KennyKramer.com. And like Kenny was saying at the end of the interview there, if you are interested in buying the Kramer Reality Tour DVD, go to his website, place your order, and in the comments box, write, Charge me the tour price as per KK. And then mention that you heard this offer on the Canned Air podcast, and he'll give it to you for half price. You can't go wrong for those of you who can't make it to New York to actually take the tour. And also go to KramerOnSeinfeld.com if you're interested in reading more about his uh, stage show, or if you're interested in having him come speak at a corporate event, or even having him marry you. Go to KramerOnSeinfeld.com, and again, KennyKramer.com. And don't forget to go to our website, www.candairpodcast.com, where you can read up more on this episode, uh, check out some past episodes, you can check out the Wall of Justice, and uh, it's still not too late to enter the Stabity Bunny free comic book day giveaway on our website. Uh, Just head over there, click on the little icon at the top left of the screen, and uh, you just can place your submission right there. That's going on until May 31st, so that's uh, the Tuesday after this episode posts. So if you haven't entered yet, get to it. It's not too late. Uh, Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. You'll get every episode as soon as it posts. And uh, leave a review for us. It really is a good way to help support the podcast. We're on Twitter at CannedAirPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And check out our YouTube channel. A lot going on over there. And last but not least, don't forget to go to conradio.com and check out all the other great podcasts on the network. Uh, A lot of geek-inspired shows. uh, You're sure to find something you like. Anything from movies uh, to wrestling to uh, gaming. It's it's all there. If you're a fan of going to the Wizard World Cons, you're going to love this network. So conradio.com. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Shoot us a tweet or an email. We'd love to hear what you thought. I think that's all I got to say. So until next time, I am Jeremy Colley, and I thank you for listening. you come over here and spray paint your name on the wall but i don't wanna what are you chicken hold on there boys wow it's flint instead of writing your name write candairpodcast.com and help spread the word well that's a great idea now we know and knowing is half the battle g.i. are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult 
struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. 